You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider him, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Lord, I pray that you would bless your word today. Holy Spirit, do what you desire in our hearts, in our lives. Just so we're all aware, the words endurance, perseverance, waiting, are very Christian words. They're not cuss words. (laughs) Although it feels like they are when you're in the middle of doing any of them, or all of them at the same time. And we come to this universal question when we're there of, well, how long? How long do I have to wait? How much pain do I have to go through till I actually just either say, you know what, forget this and I'm going to move on to something else? How much pain are we willing to push through to gain something that we really want or we really desire? What is our limit of waiting, persevering, enduring? What is our pain threshold? Take, for example, extreme marathon runners. Those that run long distances, And I don't understand why you do, but those that do, they say, and at this point it's all theoretical for me because I've never done this, they say that you come to a point to where you hit what they say, you hit a wall. In that context, it means the condition of sudden fatigue, a loss of energy caused by the depletion of glycogen stores in the liver and the muscles. This is hitting the wall physically, but the wall that I want to talk about today is one every Christian will come to and probably come to multiple times in their lives. It's what some writers call the dark night of the soul, or others look, uh, fathers, church fathers talk about stages of the dark night of the senses or the dark night of the spirit. In essence, it's a spiritual impasse. It's a circumstantial obstacle in your life that you cannot get through on your own. You've got no power to change it. You've got no power to get through it or to get around it. Really, your only choice is to wait, to persevere, to endure, or walk away. But if you want to go to a deeper place, and that's what I believe God wants to do today, I'm glad that you're here today. Even on this holiday weekend, I'm glad that you're here, that you're tuning in and you're watching online because I believe that God wants to take each of us to a deeper place of healing from God in an intimacy with God like you've never known before. But it only comes, this spiritual formation that we're talking about only happens when we go through the wall. We're in week four of our series, Break My Soul, And I want to honestly acknowledge that it is hard work 
to do what we're doing in this series. It's hard work, I believe, on Sunday to allow uh, God to go to the places that he wants to go in your life. I believe if you're in a connect group, which I hope all of you will take advantage of, I believe it's hard work to be honest before God and one another and go to the deeper places that God wants to take us. Listen, here's what I would say. If it's not hard, you're not doing it right. It's kind of like if you're not hurting at the end of your workout, you didn't work out very hard. We're telling our daughter who's running cross country this year for the first time as a freshman in high school, it's like, look, if I see you at the end of the race and you're like, you didn't run the race very hard, right? Like your form's perfect and that's great. So what's happening out there in those other three miles that I didn't see? There's got to be some pain and there's got to be some desire to push through that to be able to get to where you want to go. So if we liken this journey of faith as a race like Paul did in the scripture that I just read in Hebrews 12, then it stands to reason that we're not in a sprint, but we're in a marathon. Therefore, we are going to have to run this race of faith with endurance and with perseverance, and there's probably gonna be some times of pain. And in so doing, I want you to be aware that we're going to hit some walls. We're gonna hit some walls in this life. As a matter of fact, I have spoken to a few people over the last couple of weeks that have hit some walls in their life. As they sit across from me and they're talking about how they feel and what they're thinking about and where God's taking them and some of the things they're afraid of or they just can't get past, they've hit a wall. And maybe that's you. The title of this message this morning until my son maybe changes it because this one he doesn't like is hitting the wall. And if we don't like it, we'll change it and it'll be something else. But here's something that is important to remember. If, if you have hit the wall, you've got to understand that it is probably God that has taken you there. Oftentimes we want to blame the wall that we're in on the enemy or we want to blame it on somebody else or something else, but it is God in his great love who brings you to this wall of what? Greater transformation as part of his divine plan for your life. Hebrews says that God sets the race before us. He sets the race. The enemy didn't set this race. Even what I begin to choose in this life, here's what God's saying. As your life relates to your faith in me, I'm the one who sets out this course. God sets out the course. And you know why God sets out the course? Because we wouldn't choose the course that God sets out. Right? Because when I get on the elliptical machine, when I go work out, and it gives you the choices of the courses that you want to do, and you have a choice between Easy Street or Pain and Death Avenue, what do you take? I'm, I'm, I'm Easy Street. Huh? Here we go. I'm working out. I don't purposefully choose the hardest choice on that track. And if you do, great. Then maybe this will be easier for you to embrace. God is the one who chooses our path of faith. But knowing this is good news because knowing God sets the race before us brings us to this place of being able to trust in a loving God. So I want to remind you that God loves you. God loves you. That's why we can go through this race. That's why we can stand at this wall of waiting and persevering with trust. His love for you is unconditional. He will never fail you. There's nowhere that you can go. There's no secret that you can unearth. There's no past that you can dig into and no wall that you come to that he will not be there with you, loving you through it. Yeah, we can applaud that. 
As a matter of fact, I hope that we will acknowledge that today because that's the only way that you will actually persevere and go through is if you understand the reason that you're there is because of God's great love for you. This is the secure foundation in which we are able to build our lives and go through the walls of life that God leads us to in this race of faith. So if you're a believer here today, I want you to think about the point that you came to in your life where you came to an awareness of your lostness apart from God's salvific power through the cross. And after that awareness, here's what happens, I hope, you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you should have entered into a life of ongoing discipleship with the body of Christ called the church, being rooted in your faith in the community of believers called the church, and it's in and through this relationship with the body that you move into an active life of serving God and serving others and being a witness to what God has done in your life. And as you continue to grow in Christ, God sovereignly determines a season in your life where your spiritual formation, your race of faith, if you will, is going to come up to a wall. Truthfully, it probably won't be one wall in your lifetime. It'll be multiple walls in your lifetime. Walls of greater transformation where your spiritual formation is coming to a place where you could either be formed more into the image of Christ or you can walk away. This is where we come to this place of an ongoing relationship with God that is going to flourish as we trust the race that he has set out before us. Waiting, persevering, enduring, even walking through walls of pain, if you will, of spiritual formation. Here's what I want you to understand. It is the normative walk of the people of God. It is not abnormal. We say, man, this is just some abnormal stuff that I'm going through. It could be but in the reality is it could be very normal as God is making you more like his son. To try to avoid being at this wall is to avoid being spiritually formed into the image of Christ. Abraham, for example, waited 25 years at the wall of infertility. And then after that, he, some 10 years later, he came up to another wall when God said, I want you to sacrifice this son of promise which you waited 25 years for. He comes up to another wall. And then we have others like Moses and Elijah and Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Peter, the Apostle Paul. All of them went through walls of insurmountable pain, crushing dark nights of the soul. And they did so numerous times in their lives. What does a wall look like? What does it feel like? How do they usually come about? Maybe that's a question you have today. It's like, well, how did I get here? What's the point of, of coming to this spiritual wall in my life of greater transformation? For most of us, it's a crisis of faith through a crisis in life. Most of the time, it's a crisis of faith because of a crisis in life. Like what? Maybe it's a, a terminal illness, a job loss, a divorce, a loss of a loved one to death. A betrayal, a wayward son or daughter, infertility, a loss of a dream, mental or physical exhaustion. It could be even something like this where we're digging deeper into our heart and our emotion and our souls and asking God to search us and see if there's any wicked way in us. And we come to the wall of, do I really want to know? Or maybe it's just dryness in your relationship with God. But it's a place where it seems like your prayers aren't heard. It's a place where it seems like no matter what you do, all the things that you used to do, it doesn't change anything. There's this pit in your stomach that never seems to go away. It doesn't feel like anything that you know to do for and with God is working anymore. So you begin to doubt God. You begin to doubt the church. You begin to even doubt your own faith. I'm not sure if this is real or not. 
That's why in classical Christian pilgrimages, you read about what those stages of, of Christian pilgrimage is. They will talk about the dark night of the soul, or in this case, this is where there might be a stage of that called the dark night of the senses, where all of the things that you sense and feel when it comes to God are, are gone. You ever feel like that? It's like, well, man, I'm supposed to feel joy, and I'm, where's the joy, and, and where's the happiness, and where's those, you know, those feel-good feelings that I usually have in the presence of God? I'm going to go keep looking for that. I'm going to keep searching for that. And we come to this place when we're at the wall where all of these cognitive, cognitive assurances of God and his love and his care, they're just not there. Job is a biblical model of this where we can't figure out what God is doing, where he's going, how long the season is actually going to last. And all the assurances that we feel and our feelings is not there anymore. But here's what we're beginning to learn. We're beginning to learn that our love for God and our trust in him cannot be restricted by our small, narrow limits of our feelings. We do know this, however. The wall cannot be removed by ourself can't be done by us alone. And that's gonna be the tendency, that's gonna be the temptation is to say, I'm gonna pull away, I'm gonna try to figure this out by myself. And again, I caution us because the presence of pain makes us want to stuff things down and walk away. Y'all have heard me talk about this many times over the last few years and it's like, listen, it's not time to stuff things down like you do with the trash can when you don't wanna take it out. Right? Or like I do, I've told you before, I take my, my youngest kids and I pick them up and I, and I start using them like a pile driver on the, on the trash so we don't have to take it out just yet. Right? And you're in there and you're inside. It's like, well, I mean, it's another, I got to take 10 feet and I don't want to do that. And you just keep pushing the trash down until eventually there is nowhere else for you to stuff it. And all that trash just keeps pouring over. And eventually that's what happens with our emotions. We say, God, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to, no, I'm going to keep stuffing that down. And you're going to keep pushing it down until eventually it's got nowhere else to go. But all that stuff's going to come out. And here's what we're going to come to, where we're going to come to this emotionally healthy faith where we admit things that we're prone to not say, or maybe we've been taught we shouldn't say, like, I'm confused. Oh, you can't be confused. You've got to be sure. I'm confused. I don't have a clue as to what God's doing right now. Well, well, his ways are higher than yours, brother. I know that. But I still don't know what's going on. I'm hurt. I'm sad. I'm overwhelmed. God, why is this happening? Those are things that you can ask a loving father. Again, this is the place where all your spiritual disciplines seem to not work. There is a sense of defeat. There's a sense of helplessness and weariness and emptiness and dryness, so much so that here's what many people do. Many people turn and walk away, and they head back to the stage of salvation. They read a passage of Scripture like returning to your first love, and they say, well, that must be what I need to do. I'm going to go back to the stage of salvation. I'm going to go back to stage one because that's where I felt the best. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, we should remember that often. But here's the problem. We begin to this, be in this cycle of frustration where we don't allow God to transform us into deeper places of Christ-likeness, and we keep going back to stage one, and we keep telling the pastor, hey, why don't you just preach the gospel because I got that figured out. Don't talk about the stuff that I don't have figured out because that makes me a little anxious and a little worried. So let's go back to stage one where I feel pretty comfortable. 
Listen, I'll always preach the gospel. I'm always going to preach the fact that Jesus saved you, not to leave you the way that you are now, but to make you more like him. And here's what we're talking about. That's the point. And you might look at that and say, well, I, I don't know what to do here. I truly believe a lot of Christians stay in a shallow cycle of frustration where we recommit our lives to Christ and, and serving the church, but we don't go to the deeper places that God wants to. So we come to the wall again and we turn away again because it seems too hard. It's too painful. It's too impossible. And here's what I want you to understand. It is impossible, but not with God. And that's what he's taking you that place. He wants you to understand you can't get through here to look more like Jesus. You need the power of God at work in your life to go through this wall. So we have to realize that God is here. He wants to take us through the wall so that we'll be different on the inside. So different on the inside that people are going to notice on the outside how much we love God differently than maybe we were before on the other side of the wall. We have to look at the wall as a gift from God as opposed to a hindrance to be ignored or to walk away from that's in the way of our spiritual growth. No, it's the pathway to your spiritual growth. At some point, it's the only way for us to be less of ourselves and more like Jesus, less of me and more of God. At some time, it's going to be through that wall to get to that place. It's going to be through the eye of that needle where everything else is going to be stripped off. It's the refiner's fire that burns away the unhealthy attachments and idolatries that I may have. It's the, the sifting of the purifier that purifies my heart so that my relationship with God is in complete unity with him. We can think of this as different stages of our spiritual formation. And as we just sang a moment ago, come to Jesus. It's an invitation into the journey to be more like him. Consider how most of us live in stage one and stage two. Maybe stage three, but we never get to stage four. And if we say stage four, I think usually what comes to our minds even today, if we think about stages, if I say stage four, what we think about oftentimes is cancer. It's like stage four is the worst of the cancer stages, and it usually means it's going to bring about your mortality, right? It ends in death. Four stages. And the fourth one leads to death. And if we think of the Christian life as stages, the first one being the one where we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, then we think more about dying to ourselves in each stage so that we're more like Christ. Why? Because Jesus said that's exactly what our lives are supposed to be like as disciples. Luke 9, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see, a dying is involved in our growth towards wholeness and Christ-likeness, a cross on which we die to our old self and our old ways and our old attachments, and we come alive in Christ. The dying is the cost of following Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who himself was martyred for his relationship with Christ says this as we embark upon discipleship we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death we give over our lives to death thus it begins the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ when Christ calls a man he bids him come and die 
See, the results of what God is doing in and at the wall are beyond our comprehension, which is maybe a better usage of that passage of Scripture we often use when we're talking about good things, right? Oh, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. Even at the wall, that is true. That he is able to do something that is far abundantly than all you could ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. What power is that? The resurrection power. So as he's doing this work in your life through difficulty, you may want to come back to that question that I said earlier that we all want to know. Well, then how long? How long, God? I've certainly asked that question in my life. If we look at God's word, we could see Job asked that question. David asked that question. I'm sure the disciples asked that question. I'm sure anybody that has walked at any amount of time with God and has come to the wall of transformation has asked that question, how long? And the answer is, only God knows. You know, that's why when I'm counseling with people or I'm talking to people about what's going on in their life and they're like, well, how long is this going to last? I, I, I say the right, I don't know. And anybody tells you that they do know, they're lying. If God is doing a work in you, we don't know how long it's going to take for God to keep you where he wants you right now, to get out of you what he wants to get out of you in order to put into you what he wants to put into you. Only he knows how long it's going to take to do that. I don't want to sound pithy or trite, but I do believe I see in the lives of the people of God in the Bible that the greater the call on your life, the greater the walls in your life that he's going to take you through in order to use you for his glory. See, if we go back to our passage in Hebrews, what we're going to find is there is no forecast on how long we wait. You can read that passage, you can exegete it all you want, and all the hermeneutics we can do with that one. There is no timetable there. Can't find it. It's kind of like the people that forecast weather for us. They're just guessing. It's going to snow tomorrow. No, it's not. There's a 50% chance. Then there's a 50% chance you're wrong. See, God, there's always a 100% chance that he's right. And so he's, he, he's, he's not forecasting any timetable here, but here's what is happening here. There's some instructions as to what you do while you wait at the wall. First, he says in verse 1, remember the forerunners of our faith. And if you want to remember that, you can go back. I did that this, this week. Actually, I did it again this morning. Read all of Hebrews 11, because then the first part of Hebrews 12, chapter 1 says, therefore. And as we said here, whenever you see therefore, you want to know what it's there for. It's because he's saying everything in chapter 11. Therefore, because of what you just read about all the people that have walked with me and, and stood in faith, even when they didn't receive the promise. Therefore, because of that. That's the one, and then the other is to keep your eyes on the author and perfect of your faith. That's verse 2. So if you go back to chapter 11, you're going to read the author of Hebrews celebrating the faith of all the Old Testament saints, Moses, Joseph. And although they are dead, he's saying they continue to speak. He says that. Although dead, they're still speaking. Their lives remain a living witness to us about the value of living by faith and trusting in God no matter what. So you can see at the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, the writer pictures us running out this race, running our own race with the lives of these saints that have gone before us crying out to us, you can do it. You can do this. You can make it. We finished our race. You can finish yours. 
Again, I love these analogies that come in life. And, and so when Carla and I are out and watching Issy run from the start, because any of you are cross-country parents or ever done that, right? You watch them go at the start and then they disappear into the woods for like, you know, half an hour. And you're wondering when they're going to come back, unless you could find them somewhere along the track. And I remember Carla was talking about one of the first races that Issy ran, and she was like, she wanted to quit. I could see it in her eyes, you like the tears. And, and she says, then I just started, I couldn't get on the track with her, but I was running right beside her. It's like, that's what a mom, that's what a dad, that's what somebody does that cheers you on. You could do it. There's the finish line. No, 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 no. Don't quit. Don't you come over here. You're going to finish. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that all the saints that have gone before are saying, you can do it. You're not going to quit. We did this. You can do this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those stories from chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings to us so closely and let us run with endurance, perseverance, and even the pain of that wall, the race that God set before us. While the enemy... Your pain, your frustration, your tiredness are all screaming at you. You can't finish. All these witnesses are saying, yes, you can. The book of Hebrews is written to help us finish in faith and love. And it's at this point, the Bible is reminding us, we don't run this race alone. We run in a caravan of community. Remember the forerunners, and then secondly, keep your eyes on Jesus. You're going to look to Jesus. That's what he says. You're going to look to Jesus as you run and as you wait and as you persevere and as you endure. And what you're going to focus on as you look to him and lock onto him is this. He ran and he waited on the Lord as well. His race was 33 years long, and it ended with a horrific gauntlet of opposition and suffering, namely the unspeakable torture of the cross and the shame of death by crucifixion. He ran it, and he finished it. How? Verse 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And surely you'll agree with me that the marathon that Jesus ran was a marathon of love that lasted several hundred yards of that last part of the marathon with nails in his hands, nails in his feet, a spear in his side, a crown of thorns on his head, and it was the greatest act of love that was ever performed and ever will be performed in all of history of the world because he was dying for our sins, not his own. And then verse 3 says, you are to consider this often. There's another scripture where Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the air. What is he saying? Think about these things instead of having your mind in all these dark places. Consider the good things. This is what James is talking about. Consider the things that are pure and righteous and true. Consider, and this is what Hebrews is saying, consider what Jesus did. Why? Because as first Peter says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, great, I came to church today and pastor is prophesying like Clubber Lang in Rocky Three. I predict pain. But here's the hope. There is pain in this life. If somebody told you that there's not, then you know already they lied. 
But if you'll trust God, if you'll obey God, if you'll wait on God, if you'll stay close to him and not run away from him, if you'll remember those who have gone before, if you'll fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, and if you'll run with those who are running the race with you currently right now, God will move you through this wall. He's the only one who can, and on the other side is a level of intimacy and Christ-likeness and trust that you've never experienced before. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro talks about what it looks like on the other side of the wall. Maybe some indicators in your life that you can think about. Well, what does it look like on the other side of this wall? Where maybe I, I can realize and sense and see and know that maybe I have at least passed through this wall in my life. The first one he says is there's a greater level of brokenness when you're on the other side of the wall. There's a greater level of brokenness when you've walked through all of this and you realize that you've been through the wall and you're not inclined to judge others the way that you used to and you're more likely to embrace criticisms that used to offend you. When somebody looks at you and says, it's, you know, this is bad in your life, you'll hold. Oh, you don't know the half of it. It's worse. There's a level of humility. There's not pride there any longer. God has taken me through the wall and he stripped me of all the things that I used to put my hope and my pride in. And humility has given me a greater sense of God's mercy in my life. And as I have been receiving his mercy, now I want to give his mercy. So there's a greater level of brokenness when we go through the wall. There's also a greater acceptance of the mystery of God. See, when you go through the wall, you realize that although I want to put God in a nice little neat box and tell him what to do and rub it like a genie and have him pop out and do the things that I want him to do, God is not going to be placed in a box of my life. Yes, he is close, but he is also, he's imminent. That means he's close, but he is also transcendent, which means he is far above and beyond anything that I could even wrap my mind around. He is not like me. He is not like us. He is God. And the more I know about God, and you probably have understood this too, the more you know about him, the more you see that you don't know about him. The closer you get to him, the more you see that you're not like him. But you want to be. And it's a majestic and holy God that reminds us that there are still secret things that we don't know about him yet. There's still marvelous things that we still don't understand. And as the psalmist said, there are marvelous things that I can't even consider I don't even take the time to try to. I would never figure them out in my finite understanding. Or as Romans says, oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or become his counselor? The spiritual wall brings us to spiritual depth in a new place in Christ. And this is the place, here's what I'm saying, where we find satisfaction, not because we know all the answers, but because we know God himself a little bit more. There's also a greater ability to wait on God once you've been through that waiting once. How many of you would say right now that you could trace some of your greatest failures in life to not waiting on God? Right? It's like, ah, I got this. That's the worst thing you could ever say, right? Like, don't ever say that. You don't, no, you don't. You ain't, you ain't got nothing. Like, outside of God, we know this to be true. I don't got this. And yet, there are a lot of failures in my life that I can attest to not waiting on God and instead taking matters into my own hands and hurriedly making things happen because God's not moving fast enough for me. 
and the wall will purge out that strong desire to run ahead of God in this life and to do things our way. The people God uses go through this wall of waiting so that they could trust God when they get to things that are impossible down the line. Just like David had to wait after being said that he was king some 10 to 12 years to actually become king. And after defeating Goliath, he still had to wait another 10 to 12 years to be the king that God said that he was. And it was out of that waiting that God began to form a man after his own heart. Yes, who would mess up and hit other walls in his life, but God was forming him. Because while we're waiting on God, God is always working in us. And then lastly, there's a greater detachment. This is a stage of Christian pilgrimage that all of the Christian fathers will talk about. A greater detachment when you've been through the wall. What do I mean? As we go through this life, we've got an innate propensity to be attached to things. And it's, it's going to look really weird if I'm attached to the same things as a 52-year-old that I was attached to as a 2-year-old. Like I was attached to a little blankie when I was that old. And if I was up here with that blankie still today, you know, rubbing it on my face while I preached, y'all wouldn't be here. <laughs> and neither would I probably. It's the same thing with our Christian walk. The things that maybe that we were tied to and we were drawing security from when we first gave our life to Christ begins to change in the place of deeper spiritual formation where God begins to transform us and the things that we used to lean into, we don't need to lean into anymore. There's something else. And here's also the attachments that are ungodly that God begins to take away from us. Whenever there's something in this life or this world that we won't let God have, we become too attached. It's become idolatrous. This goes beyond enjoying stuff like enjoying sports or hobbies or cars or whatever to a place of having to have them. And the wall cuts off our attachments to what we think we should be, think we should have, even our false selves to where nothing else remains but a desire for more of God and less of me. The ultimate goal of the wall as it relates to these things is that we would detach from the behaviors and the activities for the purpose of knowing God more intimately and becoming more attached to him. Like the psalmist says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me a what? An undivided heart that I may fear your name. Here's what I want you to know in closing. If you're willing to wait on God at the wall, and I truly believe today, as I said a moment ago before I started this message, there is a lot of walls in here today. I feel like God was saying just earlier to me, I want people to experience my peace and security and trust. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to pass through the wall today, but I want you to know that God has you there for his purposes to transform you. And we're going to experience some freedom and peace and trust in God today. I believe that. But here's what we're going to know, that as we trust him more, as we grow in our love for him more, as we obey him more, what we're going to see is the reversal of that old adage that the gain that we have is far greater than the pain that we've been through. Isn't this what scripture says in Philippians? Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. We cannot be afraid to run into the pain with Jesus. This is part of God's plan for us. What if Jesus had run from the pain of the cross? 
Instead, he trusted and obeyed the Father for the joy set before him, the joy of what his obedience to the Father would accomplish, and the joy of being seated at the right hand of God, the greatest place of intimacy and closeness with God that there could be. And he endured the pain in order to get there. And that's what I'm telling you, that if you will endure, if you will persevere, if you will wait, you're going to be moving into some of the greatest places of intimacy and closeness with God that you've ever experienced. Pain is inevitable in this broken and shattered world. And our lives will continue to be affected by it. But unhealed pain can become your greatest foe if your broken heart is not made whole by waiting and then going through the wall. And there's only one who takes you through that wall, the wall of pain, the wall of shame, the wall of brokenness, who makes your life whole and makes it flourish even in the worst situations. And that's Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you can walk away from the wall and not be healed or you can wait, persevere, and endure while looking back at all those who have gone before you that did, while contending and thinking about what Jesus has done and allow God to heal you and make you whole today. It's impossible for God to heal what you won't admit is there that needs to be healed. It's impossible for God to make whole what you continue to say that is broken is not broken. But if you will come to that wall today and allow God to take whatever it is that you're waiting and enduring and maybe painfully going through, then I believe today that God wants to meet you where you are. Even this last song, I can't tell you how well the songs have set up today, that what you've been singing out of your mouths and hopefully your hearts has prepared the soil of your heart to experience a breakthrough today in Christ. And I believe that's what God's going to do. So the worship team is going to move into place. I want you to bow your head and I want you to pray with me as we ask God to finish, even in this moment, what he started You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.